welcome to the Seeking Pearls podcast with Rebecca Meitinger. It is great to be here with you today. Today we are going to do session one of our Bible study on Romans chapter eight. This podcast is following a Bible study I wrote on Romans chapter eight called Spirit Life. And this is the session one teaching. The previous podcast was an introduction to the letter of Romans and some background on the letter of Romans. But this is session one of the actual text of Romans chapter eight. So in this podcast, we are going to be looking at Romans chapter eight, verses one through four. And here is how our podcast is going to work as we go through Romans chapter eight. I'm going to teach through Romans chapter eight, literally verse by verse. And most verses, I will stop right after the verse or maybe even halfway through the verse and discuss what is happening, discuss my thoughts on it, do some teaching on that verse. With verse one, we're actually gonna take it literally word by word and go through every word of Romans chapter eight, verse one, because it is so powerful, so significant, life-changing, important for us to dive deep into that one verse. Last week, we did a little bit of background on the letter to the Romans that Paul wrote. This week, I do wanna just do a really quick run through of where has he been already in this letter. So in the last seven chapters of this letter that we're not going to read through, where has Paul been? What has he been discussing? Last week, we talked about how one of the really unique dynamics of the church in Rome is that they were, they were trying to blend together their Jewish family and their Gentile family of believers because for a number of years, the Jews had been kicked out of, of Rome. So last week I said in 48 AD, I've had to go back and look at my notes. It's probably more like 49 or 50 AD that Emperor Claudius kicked the Jews out of Rome. And so the entire church in Rome at that time would have become only Gentile. Gentile is a word that means non-Jews. So everybody who's not Jewish is a Gentile. And that the church at that time in Rome, when the when the Jews got kicked out, the church would have been entirely handed over to their Gentile leadership. Now, the church was more than likely had its beginnings with Jewish people, Jewish men and women who had gone to Jerusalem at Pentecost, received the gospel, the good news of Jesus, brought it back to Rome. And so the leadership of the church probably began as Jewish itself. So now in 48, 49, 50 AD, 15 to 17 years after Pentecost, it's very possible that the leadership of the church was still primarily Jewish. Although there probably by this time there had been Gentile leaders in the church as well. Certainly there was a large number of Gentiles in the church, whether or not they were in leadership. But the Jews all left, so the church would have lost its Jewish leadership and its Jewish roots for a number of years until the Jews were allowed back into Rome in about 54 AD after Claudius died. So, like I said last week, a huge dynamic in the church in Rome was trying to figure out how do we live together? How do we work together? How do we minister together when um, the Gentiles do not have this huge history of the Old Testament, of the promises of God, the story of God that the Jews carried with them. And now the Jews are back and they're trying to work together in in their faith in Jesus. And um, 
not throw away their whole heritage, the Jewish heritage. So that is a huge part of the book of Romans. And in the first seven chapters of Romans, Paul is really laying the framework for the differences specifically in how we are saved. So he's going through with the Jews again, like, look, you are not saved by the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law was given to us as a guardian to to help us to identify our sin, to help us to see our sin, to help us live right with God until the day came when God would send a savior to us and his name is Jesus. In the book of Galatians, Paul says, at just the right time, God sent us a savior. So the Old Testament law that God gave the Jews is beautiful and it's good. It's spoken of very highly throughout the whole of scripture. Paul regards it very, very highly. It is not to be thrown out, but it was not a means of salvation. Salvation comes in through faith in Jesus Christ whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile. And he has spent the last, well, specifically chapters uh, two through six, Paul really spends laying that out. Like salvation comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the Jew and the Gentile alike. You are not saved by the law. And then in chapter seven, Paul kind of explains his own experience. He's like, look, sin is an intruder. Sin is what has gotten in the way between us being able to fulfill the law. We can't fulfill the law because of our own sin. And then the sin condemns us and the sin, or I'm sorry, the law condemns us. And then the law brings death to us because it's our sin that disables us from being able to fulfill the law and then the law becomes a law of sin and death and then he ends chapter seven by saying wretched man that i am he's gone through this whole thing about how i want to do what the law says but something inside of me sin keeps making me do something that i don't want to do and the very thing i want to do i don't do and so he is just struggling and he's just kind of pouring out his heart in chapter seven and he gets to the end of chapter seven and he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? And then right after that, he says, but thanks be to God who delivers me through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then right after that, he gets to Romans chapter eight, which is where we begin today. So in Romans chapter eight, right after he said that Jesus has rescued him from this body body of sin, right after that he starts in chapter 8 and he says with this big therefore, he says there is therefore, because Jesus saved me, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore, because Jesus set me free, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's take this word by word. The first word I want to dissect is therefore. I already dissected it though. The therefore comes on the heels of this whole conversation about are we saved through the law? No, we are not. Is the law good? Yes, it is. Does it set us free from our sin? No, it actually points out and identifies our sin for us. Jesus sets us free from our sin. We are saved by the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, that is what the therefore is there for. Anytime you are reading the Bible and there is a therefore, you need to go back and you need to ask, what is the therefore therefore? 
That's what this therefore is there for. We are saved through Jesus. We are saved through Jesus. Then the next word that I want to look at is now. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It seems like the now could be taken out of this sentence if we just wanted to say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is the now there? Was there at some point condemnation? The answer is yes. In Romans 5.10, Paul says, If while we were still enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, so much more, now that you are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Without Jesus, there is condemnation for sin. There is condemnation for sin. That's why he says we were enemies of God because of our sin. We were his enemies. But through Jesus, we are reconciled to him. Without Jesus, there is condemnation. In Jesus, there is now no condemnation. All right, I really love the word no. The next word is, therefore, there is now no condemnation. This is really important because I think oftentimes we think, okay, there's not condemnation for me yet. But if I do something really bad, there might be condemnation then. Or there is not very much condemnation for me, but oh my goodness, there's got to be a little bit of condemnation because doesn't God know this or that or X, Y, or Z? Like he must know. So there's got to be a little bit of condemnation. Or we might think, well, there's not really condemnation for me or for you or for these people, but that group of people? Oh yeah, I think that there's a little bit of condemnation for those people. The truth is, the Word of God says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's none. It's not that God is ignoring our condemnation. It's not that he's just like, well, I'm going to set that on the back burner and see if she gets really bad. No, there's no condemnation. It got taken away by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. He took the condemnation away. There is no more. God isn't ignoring the condemnation. He's not putting it on the back burner. There is none. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The next word we need to look at as we look at this sentence word for word is condemnation. So what is condemnation? Let's define condemnation. So condemnation is the expression of very strong disapproval or censure. The act of condemning someone to a punishment or sentencing them. In our case, Jesus was sentenced to death to carry our sin on the cross. He took our condemnation for us. To condemn someone is to pronounce them guilty. So when, when the word of God says there's no condemnation, that means that God does not condemn us guilty. He does not pronounce us as guilty. He does not... Um, punish us or sentence us to death because Jesus already died for our sin on the cross. He took our condemnation away. Our condemnation has been removed, canceled, and defeated. 
However, I want to talk about two other things that do actually exist for us as the believer, and we confuse them a lot with condemnation. So one of those things is accusation. Accusation is from the devil. God does not accuse us. God will never accuse you. Say that Say that out loud to yourself. Jesus will never accuse me. Jesus doesn't accuse. Satan accuses. So oftentimes we hear accusations from the enemy. Jesus called um, Satan the father of lies, and he's also called the accusers. Um, he's also called the accuser in, in the Bible. And so we know that when we hear accusations, in our minds, accusations about, I can't believe you did this, or I can't believe you did that, or does that person even know what you really did? When we hear those accusations going on in our head, that is not the voice of God. That is the voice of our enemy, Satan. And he specifically accuses us about sin that you have already repented of. Um, the Bible says that when we repent of our sins, God separates our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. It is gone. So if you are still hearing accusations about sin that you have already confessed and repented of to God, that accusation only comes from Satan. And it feels like condemnation. But what we need to remember when we hear these accusations, we need to remember, look, there is no condemnation for you. So though Satan might try to condemn you, he might throw accusations at you, trying to make you feel condemned, he cannot because there is no condemnation. So he's going to try to make you feel down, depressed, condemned, unworthy of the love of God. Don't let him. Don't let him. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He has to flee from the name of Jesus. So when you hear accusations and you know it is from Satan, and if it's accusation, it is from Satan. You don't have to wonder if it's from Satan. It is. Accusations come from the enemy. So if you hear these accusations, you need to say out loud, Satan, I condemn you in the mighty name of Jesus. Move out. I am not condemned. Recite Romans 8, 1 out loud to Satan. Um, put it in your heart. Get it memorized. Work on that. And then you can say, there is therefore now no condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus. You can personalize it. Make it personal and recite it out loud with power, with power. Because uh, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control. So powerfully say out loud, Satan, you can't accuse me. I am not condemned. So when feelings of accusation come, feelings of guilt come, that is from the enemy. Another thing that can come, though, that we also might confuse with condemnation is conviction. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Conviction is, is in the case of sin that is going on in our life that we have not yet brought to God, that we haven't yet confessed, we haven't yet asked for forgiveness for, and it can be rather painful when the Holy Spirit is nudging us in our heart and in our mind saying, Rebecca, 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 it's like it's like a flashing light, only it's a gentle flashing light, if that's possible, if that makes sense. It is possible because it's the Holy Spirit, but nothing else can be like the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit 
nudges us and reminds us and does not let us off the hook, but does it in a loving, caring, tender way. Even, even if the Holy Spirit really needs to like get our attention and get after us, it's still in this beautiful, tender way. And that brings us to repentance. When the Apostle Paul was writing his second letter to Corinth, the second letter we have in our Bibles to Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he, he talks about a time when he had to bring up some sin that they were dealing with. And he says, even if I caused you sorrow in my letter, I don't regret it. Although I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a while. Yet now, I'm un- now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so you were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance. Isn't that beautiful? So the Holy Spirit will bring us conviction of our sins. And that is a good and sweet thing. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, uh, Luke, Luke is recording the words of, of Peter. And Peter is t- talking to the people and he says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin prods us, nudges us, sometimes has to get a little firm in doing so, but still very loving because he is love. God is love. And so he gets us our attention and it's for our good to turn us toward repentance for times of refreshing. He wants times of refreshing to come to us. So those are two things, conviction and accusation, that can be confused with condemnation. But in fact, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is accusation from the devil, and we need to shut that down and tell Satan that there's no condemnation and tell him to get out, move out in the mighty name of Jesus and stop lying to us. And there is conviction of the Holy Spirit, which is much gentler, which is loving. It's not accusational. It's a loving nudge for the purpose of of refreshing our souls. Let's not confuse those with condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, as we word, as we go through this sentence, this verse, word by word, the next word, we're actually gonna take a little phrase. It says, for there, there is, therefore, sorry, I'm gonna start over. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who, All right, so we're going to take this phrase. This is an uncomfortable phrase, but it's there for a reason. Because we have to remember, we already talked about this when we discussed the word now. There is now no condemnation. That before Christ Jesus, before we put our faith in Christ Jesus, there is condemnation. Um, We read earlier, we looked at Romans 5.10 when we were looking at the word now. And in Romans 5, 10, we looked at how it said that we were enemies of God when we were in our sin. And while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So 
If we used to be enemies of God before we put our faith in Jesus, then we have to realize that those who have not put their faith in Jesus still have condemnation on their backs. And that is why, that is why, dear friends, we want to show the love of God as much as humanly possible, as much as we are capable as human beings in this world to show the love of God, to draw people to Jesus through the love of God because we do not want them to have condemnation on their backs. Jesus took their condemnation away and we want them to know that and to be set free by that. So most of us or many of us have the words of John 3.16 memorized for God's who love the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Fewer of us have Rome, have John 3:17 memorized the very next verse that says for God did not send his wor- son into the world to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. God does not want to condemn the world. God wants to save the world. He sent Jesus not to condemn the world but to save the world. And then even fewer of us know John 3:18 because it is not comfortable. But it's so important. John 3:18 says, "Whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God." Look, without Jesus, without faith in the Lord Jesus, there is condemnation. But God does not want to condemn the world. God loves the world, sent his son Jesus not to condemn the world, but to save the world, because without Jesus there is condemnation and God wants to bring us out of that condemnation through the forgiveness that is offered on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we as believers in Jesus need to take this so seriously and love people to Jesus. I want my whole mission in my whole life to be to love people towards Jesus Christ. To just love. Look, I'm not very good at this. I'm actually, I think a lot of people would say, well, she's pretty bad at that. She doesn't do a good job of that. That's probably true. I just want to get better and better and better at loving people towards Jesus because I don't want anyone to be condemned, just like Jesus does not want anyone to be condemned. I want to have the heart of Jesus for his people, and he has he has the most beautiful heart towards his people. It's breathtaking. It's shocking, and I want to be like him. All right, the next word we're going to look at is in. So let's go through our verse again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In. All right, so this is pretty cool because in the ESV translation of Scripture, which is what I use as I study the Bible, it's what mostly, it's what I will be using as I teach this Bible study. In the ESV, there are 87 uses of the phrase in Christ, almost all by the Apostle Paul, um, plus there's one in Hebrews and three times in Peter's letter, in Peter's letters in First and Second Peter. So 87 times we are told to be in Christ. Jesus himself tells us and prays for us to remain in him 10 times in John 6, and then also in John 14, 15, 16, and 17. So this spiritual reality of being in Christ 
is an absolutely essential doctrine of the Christian faith. We are in Christ Jesus. We are brought into him in a spiritual reality. We get enveloped up into him when we trust in Jesus for salvation. His name is a strong tower of protection over us that guards us from the evil one for the rest of our lives. In Colossians, it says we are hidden with Christ in God. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, he says he wants to be found in Christ. Our spiritual union with Christ means that we are in fact in him. We are raised up to the heavenly places in him. He envelops us. And through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we envelop him. He is the vine that gives us life, nourishment, vitality, he, his life defines our life. We live in him and he lives in us. It is a spiritual reality that cannot necessarily be explained, but is absolutely vital. Look, I, I belong to a lot of things. I'm so-called in a lot of things. I am in the PTA at school. I am a member of my church. I am a member in our gym that we go to. I am a member of a fitness plan, a fitness like club that I, I mean, not my gym, but like another online fitness program that I follow. I am a member of our local library. I am a member of Costco. <laughs> um, none of these things define me though. If any one of them was let go, it'd be like, oh, okay, whatever. Doesn't matter. Doesn't really make a difference in my life. They don't define me at all. Not one iota. But being in Christ, this is an absolute definition of who I am. It is a spiritual reality that flipped me upside down when I came to know Jesus. Like he takes our life and he flips it over. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who died for me and gave himself up for me. So it's a complete reversal of our way of life when we are in Christ Jesus. It becomes the absolute core defining reality of our life is that we are in Jesus. All right, the last phrase in Romans chapter 1, sorry, Romans chapter 8 verse 1 that we are going to look at is Christ Jesus. So let's go through our verse again. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is who we have to be in. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we learn that there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Only the name of Jesus, only the name of Jesus sets us free. His name is the name of the Lord that is a strong tower that we run into and are saved. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. His name and his name alone. All right, so we're going to take just a few minutes, about 10 more minutes, and go through the rest of the verses that are laid before us today, are Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. I wanted to spend the biggest amount of time on Romans 8, verse 1. It is so important. Every single word is so important to that verse. And now I'm going to go through a little bit more quickly, quite a bit more quickly, the other verses in this 
text. If you are also going along with the Bible study, uh, the Spirit Life Bible study that I wrote that is based on Romans chapter 8, this podcast is going along with that. If you are doing that Bible study, you are going to study each one of these verses for a day of Bible study. So one day of Bible study is on Romans 8.1, one day of Bible study is on Romans 8.2, and so on and so forth. During our time in this podcast, I'm going to keep it briefer so that you are not here all day long. (laughs) All right, I could talk all day long, but I don't think you want to listen all day long. So I'm going to read our whole chunk of four verses in Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. All right, so let's look at verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What laws is this talking about? (laughs) All right, well, here's the deal. I have done quite a great deal of studying on what laws is this verse discussing. And let me just tell you that great biblical scholars, wonderful Bible-believing scholars, don't agree on this, all right? And so I'm just going to give you where I have landed through my study, but I highly encourage you to dig it into yourself and feel free to disagree with anything that I say at any time. Uh, of course, that is your right. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you want to get some people together and really have a dialogue about this, I encourage that. Absolutely, because nobody knows for sure except the Holy Spirit and um, God himself, who is the Holy Spirit. So, all right. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There are two main camps of theology on this. One would say that in this context, the word law in verse 2, each time it's used in verse 2, would mean like the principle of the thing. So the principle of the Spirit, the way in which the Holy Spirit works, is that he sets us free. He gives life. And the principle of the way that sin and death works is that sin gives death. The wages of sin is death. Sin brings death into our lives. So the principle of the law is that it brings life and freedom. And the principle of death is that, or I'm sorry, the principle of sin is that it brings death. However, other theologians say, yeah, but in verse 3, the law in verse 3 is definitely the Old Testament law. So if verse 3 is referring to the Old Testament law, then verse 2 must be referring to the Old Testament law because it's translated exactly the same. So it must be the same thing. So in verse 2, the law of sin and death would be the Old Testament law. Now, that gives people some struggle because, in fact, the Old Testament law throughout Paul's writings is good and beautiful and holy and sacred. And there's places throughout Paul's letters that he makes it clear that the law is to be uh, honored. And so how could he possibly call it the law of sin and death? Well, when Paul is writing in 
in chapter 7, when Paul is writing in chapter 7, he makes it clear that that the law also uh, can be, because the law helped him identify, the job of the law was to identify our sin, therefore the law becomes the law of sin and death. So he says in Romans chapter 7, he says, For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. And I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought me death. So some scholars are saying, he is saying that because the law points out our sin, it is also then known as the law of sin and death. It's still good, but it is the law that points out our sin and death. Therefore, the law of the spirit of life must be the gospel through the Lord Jesus that sets us free from the law of sin and death. All right, so now let's go on to verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. I just love this verse. I love how this verse is uh, translated in the NIV. In the NIV it says, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. I just think that's so beautiful. Like, the law couldn't do it because it was weakened by the flesh. God did it. So what is it that the law couldn't do? And in fact, the law wasn't even designed to do? Save us. Save us. The law was not designed to save us. It was designed as a guardian to point out our sin. We learn that in Romans and we learn that in Galatians. So Paul is here saying, what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by human flesh, by our sinful flesh, God did it. God saved us. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. How did he do it? How did he save us? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. All right, let's spend a couple minutes looking at the likeness of sinful flesh. What does that mean, the likeness of sinful flesh? Wasn't Jesus fully in the flesh? Yes, absolutely. Jesus was fully in the flesh. But he was not sinful. Jesus was fully in the flesh, but he was not sinful. And so when it says the likeness of sinful flesh, keep in mind, it doesn't say that he was in the likeness of flesh. No, he was in the he was in the flesh. He was fully in the flesh. He was in the likeness of sinful flesh flesh. He was, uh, in Hebrews chapter 2, it says that Jesus was made exactly like his brothers in every way, yet without sin. So he was made like us in every single way without sin. So he was made in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. This is an amazing turn of events. Rather than allowing sin to condemn us, Jesus came to earth in a human body and condemned sin itself. In his body, he condemned sin in his body by death, by crucifixion. That is just a staggering, staggering truth that we can never stop being amazed by that Jesus so didn't want to condemn us. He so did not want sin to condemn us. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. So he decided to come into the world and condemn sin in his body 
by death, by crucifixion. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul writes it this way, God canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. We had a legal charge against God. The condemnation that our sin brought had to be dealt with, and Jesus dealt with it on the cross. It says he has taken it away, nailing it literally to the cross. In 2 Peter 2.24, it says um, that he had all of our sin in his body while he hung on the tree. Our sin was literally in his body while he hung on the tree. He nailed it to the cross and took away our condemnation. And then verse 4 tells us why. Of course, the why is because he loves us more than we could fathom. But there's more to it in verse 4. In verse 4, it says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The righteous requirement of the law that we in our sinful nature can not fulfill, first of all, is fulfilled for us and given to us through imputed righteousness uh, from Jesus. So imputed righteousness means Righteousness that is attributed to us vicariously, derived from another person. That person being Jesus, he gave us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus gives us his righteousness, puts it inside of us. Not just like a cloak or a coat or a shawl that we put over ourselves, but it says that the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us. He puts his righteousness inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit. He gives us his righteousness from the inside out. And then through a lifetime of sanctification, which is what Romans 8, the rest of the chapter is going to be about, is about becoming like Jesus, this lifelong process of becoming like Jesus, so that after Jesus puts his righteousness inside of us, when we come to faith in Christ, he imputes his righteousness inside of us, and then the rest of our life, as we walk with Jesus, is us growing in the righteousness of Jesus, living out the righteousness of Jesus more and more each day as we walk on planet Earth. And this all happens for those who set their minds not on the flesh, but on the Spirit. We let the Spirit lead us, and we walk with Jesus, and we get transformed into the likeness of Jesus through his indwelling righteousness. Praise be to God. That is what Romans 8 will lead us into this conversation of walking with the Spirit, learning how to live a Spirit life where we let Jesus lead us and we become like Him. Praise be to God. All right, that wraps up our session on Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. I just want to say a word about just some housekeeping things about podcasting. I have taught the Bible a lot, but I have not podcasted. This is my first time ever podcasting. 
And I wanna say podcasting is really hard because I could go back and I could fix a whole bunch of things, like things where I had to stutter over words or things where the, the right words wouldn't come out or things where I'm like, ooh, I said that in a confusing way. When you teach live and I'm teaching a group of people, there's no opportunity to go back and fix those things, but on a podcast there is. So then you think, oh my goodness, should I go back and fix everything? Well, here's the deal. If I did that, I would never publish a podcast because I'm never going to say it perfectly. I'm never going to say it perfectly. So I think my way of moving forward is just to let it be what it is. It is what it is. And when I'm done teaching in a live group, I always pray, Holy Spirit, would you take that and make it what you wanted it? Whatever words were meant to be on the hearts of the men or women who heard, will you write those words on the hearts? And whatever words I spoke that were just plain wrong or too confusing or uh, not well said, will you smooth it out or in fact just erase it from hearts and minds if it wasn't supposed to be said? Just take it away (laughs) in in their hearts. And so I think that's what I'm going to do for my podcast. I'm just going to let it be what it is. And Sometimes you might hear my dogs barking, and I live in a house with four kids and two dogs, so my house is never really super quiet. Even when my kids are at school, my dogs are like, they might be barking, or they might be running around, or they might be playing with a squeeze toy, as much as I try to eliminate that from this space. And so I'm just going to let it be real. So I hope this feels real to you, and I hope you continue to follow along with us as we go through Romans chapter 8, digging into spirit life what it means to live in the promises of Romans chapter 8. I hope you have an awesome day. Thanks so much. Bye.